Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. So yeah, that that was basically the theme of the weekend. Just tequila. Uh, I have to admit, I didn't drink much tequila this weekend in honor of that song. And now I kind of regret that. But there's still time actually recording this on Sunday. So maybe it'll be uh, Margarita Sunday for me. But uh, yeah, we're, we're calling this tequila and title dreams. Because not only did Arsenal do the business... But Manchester City did not do the business. And so we end match week three where no well, we don't end it. There's another game tomorrow that could bring more hilarity and schadenfreude. No one can catch Arsenal at the top of the table. Chelsea get manhandled by Leeds. Uh, you know, if that's the Jesse Marsh thing anyway. Uh, and Aronson, right? He had a goal. The no-look uh, goal from third of a yard out, but still a no-look goal. So yeah, the football continues to be nothing but good. So what we're going to do today, section one will be with Tim, so we can really get a feel for the away day atmosphere and what it was like on a very, very fun day in Bournemouth. We'll laugh a little at Chelsea City and the rest of the league. And then Paul and Clive will come on, do the uh, heavy lifting, deep dive into the tactical brilliance of Arteta's arsenal against Bournemouth and the performances that were relevant. And William Saliba apparently just being great at both ends of the pitch, which is fantastic news. I don't know if you saw Zinchenko's reaction. We'll talk to Tim about that in a moment. And then at the very, 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 very end, just for a couple of minutes, we'll hear from Mike from the Gooners Pod. They've got a live event coming up in London. I don't want you to miss that. So that's it. Tim's on Twitter. It's Roberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. It is, it's funny. Before the season kicks off, you're doing regular pods, you're doing um, Patreon pods, and you get in a nice rhythm. And then the season kicks off, and there's so much happening, and you're like, do I need to do a pod for this? Like Chelsea lost. I'm like, do I need to do a pod for Chelsea? Losing? And then City don't wheel. Do I need to? Do? There's just all the football's happening all the time. Um, but I, I think the moment that will stand out for most Arsenal fans this weekend is the Saliba song. And you were at Bournemouth, and I was hoping you could just give us a little background, not just on what it was like to be in the crowd for that, because you sent a video and it looked amazing, but also how that came about and just how it felt to have that going on all 
match long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's it's weird. Usually when a chant goes up, I've kind of heard it before somewhere, um, be it in a pub or a concourse, and it takes a little time to kick off. But maybe that's the case in this scenario, and that happened in pubs and concourses that I haven't been in. Um, but this one really felt, um, I mean, I, uh, yeah, it felt off the cuff. I'm sure whoever kind of um, made it up or was the first to go with it uh, has been thinking of it probably for the last three years, thinking, God, I hope he plays for us. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, this this one's going to waste. Um, but it did fit. It did feel because what because in the first couple of games there was like a much more generic chant for Saliba to the the tune of Seven Nation Army, which is much less imaginative and it's it's a holding chant, really not a Rob mm. holding chant, it's but a like a holding chant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like until we think of something a bit better, we want to show that we appreciate you. But this one, um, there was it, it. Kind of started. I think it had its genesis. There was just a piece of defending where. Bournemouth went over one of the few times they're actually able to go over the top and he swept it all up and everything and and his name was chanted but then it just kind of started in the background and I was I was in the very front row um on this occasion so the way these things usually goes they kind of start at the back and and tumble forwards but it was one of those things where the second you because obviously it takes quite a long time to get to the end of that tune but the thing is as soon as you hear it you go oh yeah what like how how did I not figure that tequila mm-hmm. and Saliba scan so well? So it's like, oh yeah, now I get it. And and I, I listened to the instant reaction earlier, and I think Paul's got the kind of the spirit of the song, which is actually that like it does start to get a bit much towards the end, but then you get the massive climax, the Saliba. Also, you you can't not then do the start again. Exactly. It's like it runs together. What what mm-hmm. you what you get bored bored with or run out of breath or whatever is the middle bit is the kind of duh, duh, duh. and then it duh, kind duh, of duh, goes duh, up. Duh, duh, duh. And, and, and that's why it's self generating. And I know like uh, loads of people tweeted me to say the commentator, and I heard you say as well. You know, mm-hmm. the commentators are literally begging for this to end. I went down into the concourse for a beer at half time, and it didn't end. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it might have ended when the TV stations cut away. <laughs> well, it's funny, right? Because like normally, when a player, especially a defender, scores such a beautiful goal from such a lovely move, swept in so beautifully, they'll spend the whole time purring about it. And to be fair, he did purr about it—the knee lift and the way he just sort of almost like a like he's in training, just sweeps it in. But almost immediately, their thoughts went straight to, you know what this means? Yeah. That song's going to be playing the rest of that. Like they were desperate for it to stop. Yeah, yeah. I I saw um, someone made a great Simpsons meme. Um, There's an episode where, uh, there's just like a little one-off character who basically, if you give him like a nickel, he plays for hours. And there's the, um, (laughs) what's his name? I forgot, I've forgotten the name of the character, the the R, like the piratey kind of guy uh, whose name I forget. He's like, Oh, not a nickel. He'll be playing for hours. And like, yeah, I saw someone tweet like, "Oh, not a Saliba goal. They'll be, they'll be singing, singing for, for hours." hours. The, the only shame was because that was at our end. We were in like the the corner, but he went over to the other corner flag, which was especially considering I was in the front row. Uh, I was really hoping it'd come over to to our bit and that there'd be like a, a big bundle. But given that when Jesus scored his um, ever so slightly offside goal, he went over to the other corner. I do wonder if they were told because Bournemouth is one of those um, 
yeah, it, it's like it's quite it's it's the smallest away allocation in the yeah. Premier League, and it's very near the pitch. And any time there's a late winner at Bournemouth, <clears throat> excuse me, it's like everyone just ends up on the pitch, and not because they want to be on the pitch, but just like the force yeah, brings the them onto the pitch. Yeah, the so I I I, yeah. I wouldn't mind betting they were told to go to the other corner, but yeah, all good fun. I wonder. I. So I'm curious, how far back would you say you have to go till you can remember a moment where you'd go away, or really home or away, but away, and there was no drama, no aggro, no conflict, no arguments, no just good fun for 90 minutes in the sun. Like, How far do you have to go back to remember it being this stress-free, being around other Arsenal fans at the Arsenal and just enjoying the football this much? I think you have to go back to the last time we won three games in a row. In fact, we won five games in a row at the beginning of the season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and yeah, and I, you know, I remember that we were like right, well, towards the end of our unbeaten run and singing We Are Unbeatable and, and stuff like that. Um, literally, I, th- I think you have to go that far back. And what um, this is something like I didn't want to tweet about it because it's just too like um, potentially too divisive, and like people mm. will argue. And I d- I'm just not in the space where I want to argue with Arsenal fans at the moment. But one of the things I thought of, you know, like for the last couple of years, and particularly pre-COVID, like singing about Arsenal fan TV, and I keep like. Because I can't help myself, I keep just tw- like, why the fuck are you singing about that? Like, who? Like, mm-hmm. th- this is just like everyone's got their heads far too far up their asses. They're taking the internet far too seriously. Like, why? Like, why are you singing about what some guys are doing outside? Yeah. Like, who yeah. cares? And and um and I've been getting a lot of no. They're causing all this discord. You know what's great about this? They're still there doing what they always did, uh, and more power to them. Um, and and no one cares anymore. All of a sudden, nobody thinks that they're the reason that everything's divided and rubbish and all that. They're still they're still out there doing their videos and stuff like that, and no one cares. And it's great because everyone's singing about the team, and like the whole songbook's been refreshed. And, you know, I've spoken a lot of times about there being like a bit of an injection of new blood into the away crowd as well. And that's freshened up the songbook. We're no longer singing about guys who left us years ago. We're not singing about guys that we don't like that left us years ago. <laughs> like it's all just had like a bit of a spruce up. And 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 it's just like, honestly, it's brilliant. It's so, so good. that Like that's that's what it should be like. And I know that's easier said than done. Um, and there are times where like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that like in the Emery years year and like the end of the Wenger reign, I was sit- standing there going, come on, guys, let's get going. Mm. I was kind of standing there pouting a little bit. I like to yeah. think I wasn't like singing about Arsenal fan TV because I've got better things to do. And like I wasn't, I don't think like being vitriolic or poisonous or anything. Most of the time I was kind of standing there going, oh, this again rethinking life choices <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and and you know i'm not at an age where i start these chants anymore but i got mm-hmm. to a stage where i wasn't even joining in that much but now like fully into it and it's and it's 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 brilliant honestly it just when you think um 
at the risk of monologuing here, but then I am on on my own effectively, so I'm going to yeah, a little I mean, bit. Yeah, ignore me. I got nothing if, to say. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I'd been on the instant reaction, again, I was listening to the instant reaction earlier, so it's like framing some of my thinking. I think my overall headline, um, I'm toying with writing about this this week, so maybe mm. this is me workshopping Workshop. material, but, <laughs> but is the nature of disappointment, right? Because you think of the way last season ended – like it was shit. Like there are very few ways a season could end worse for an Arsenal fan than how ours ended. Like that was trauma. Nobody, the players, manager, fans, nobody has taken it into the new season. And, and there's something about when you get disappointment, it, that really shows you where a fan base is. Cause when we finished fifth under Emery, and we blew it. I wasn't sitting there thinking, okay, but this is better than last season. We're building something. I was just thinking, this doesn't feel like the beginning of anything. I'm not sure if it's the end of something, but it doesn't feel like the beginning of anything. Or that, la- or the season, the first time under Wenger when we finished fifth in 2017. Like I didn't feel good about that. That felt like the end of something. And and like there there are kind of plots where you get disappointments as as an Arsenal fan and it's just like, well, that's just shit. Or like the Birmingham defeat and you start to think Mm. this isn't, this is more than just a cup final defeat. This feels like, this feels like the slide. We're at the end of something here and then we drag that end out for a long time. But, or the Europa League final against Chelsea, you feel Mm. like, oh, this feels like the end of, you know, or or the fact that, we were at the end of something for years and we haven't even begun again. But when you get disappointments when you're on a good trajectory, generally fans stay with you, um, I think. So when Arsenal blew the league in 2003, nobody was standing there going, well, we're never going to do this again, are we? Everyone was like, we're in that race next season with United again. We know we are and we're probably pissed off this time. So like, you know what I mean? You plot, disappointment shows you where you are. And we had a big disappointment only a few months ago. And look at everyone. Everyone's still smiling, dancing, happy. That tells you a lot, tells you a hell of a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think like it, it is the case that when it's fun like this and people are connected to it like this and feel really excited about it. And I, I think this is obvious, but it's really struck me because I find myself involved in a lot of debates and conversations about Arsenal. The disagreements feel less pointed, right? The the yeah. opposing viewpoints feel more in, lighthearted and enjoyable and, and yeah. collegial, right? There's just an ability to discuss Arsenal, whether you agree or disagree, in a way that's really productive and enjoyable. And like also have a hell of a lot of fun laughing at the at the opposition. Like I have to admit. I'll do schadenfreude when we're sitting 12th. I don't care. Yeah. But when you're top of the league and you can laugh at Chelsea or laugh at United or hell, even laugh at City a little bit, it feels a hell of a lot more fun. I do want to ask you quickly about the uh, the Saliba goal, though. Did you get a chance in real time to see Zinchenko's reaction to it? I, I didn't see Zinchenko's reaction to it, no. Have you um, since? I, I have done since, and it's and it's fantastic. The thing about being in the front row is actually we had a lot of space, and there were about ten of us sat together. So mm-hmm. after every goal, basically, it it looked a little bit like ring a ring of roses. Um, I think <laughs> it's just like a big a big huddle. So I, I did I didn't see that, but I have seen it since. And and again, like 
that shows you something about the team spirit, right? Zinchenko's been here five minutes, and so Saliba. They're both new in different ways. Like, but and that that always um, I always think about that, like how quickly like teammates become like really good friends because it must be a really intense environment when you're all together all the time and you depend on each other and like you know it's they've both been here five minutes how does like how does Zinchenko already have such like a strong feeling about this guy and you know obviously feels warmth towards him it's yeah it's it's all good it's all good yeah, I, I loved it. I mean, it, for those who haven't seen it, he puts his hands to his head like he's like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Um, it is, I think, a training ground set piece, essentially. Um, it's taken shorts, the overlap, it, it's to the far post, Shaka's there, slides it back, and obviously if you're going to have a pullback to the top of the box for a shot, you're going to set that up for Saliba because apparently no one can strike the ball quite like him. And Zinchenko On the left foot as well. <laughs> on the left foot. Oh, a cultured left foot, you might say. Um, just said the guy's incredible. The guy's incredible. <laughs> to be fair, they were like, do you see this in training? He's like, nope, never saw that in training. <laughs> so maybe a little bit of good fortune with the way he struck it. But yeah, it, it did look really good. Um, I want to ask you just about the the sort of system and formations that you're seeing, you know, being at the ground. Like, to be fair, mm-hmm. you don't really have the bird's eye view from the away end at, uh, at Bournemouth. But it really is interesting. I tweeted during the game, like, I, def- I defy you to say what Zinchenko's position is. Yeah, like yeah. As you're watching this, the do you Cancelo find yourself going, what, yeah, what's he doing over here and why is that guy over there? Do you, are you able to sort of sense the way it's – programmed sounds too specific, but you know what I mean? The, the way that it, it is choreographed or does it feel even just watching very difficult to sort of assess the system and where these players are going because they're popping up at such interesting positions? Yeah, Clive um, said something interesting on a, a pod recently um, – I know that doesn't narrow it down, um, but he said something that. about <laughs> he said something about like just always think of it as there are always five back and there are always five forward, mm. and I can't not see that now every time. And I've gone back and I went back and looked at the Palace Leicester games because I was doing that piece on Xhaka and I was screen capping. I was looking at where everyone is. Mm. I did it for I I only had time to do it for the first half uh, this morning, um, and to be honest, that was the fun half. And like every time I stop it, it's it is just five five, and and it kind of, and within the like the five front spaces, you generally get the same five. There are like six players who will pop up in those five places, but and and like they'll swap like lanes a bit. So Martinelli is either wide left, or he's one inside, or he's centre forward. He doesn't go over to the right. Jesus often in either the right or the left half space. Look where he is for that first goal when Ben White, frankly, fucks up <laughs> that <laughs> that lofted ball. He's over in the left half space. He does this a lot. He's pulling out a little bit to create a gap for someone to run into, and often that's Shaka actually. And so mm. you basically, it's almost like chess pieces. Like they're all allowed to move over one. Like you've got the king that can go anywhere, which is Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other guys, they've all got like one of two lanes that they'll occupy. And that, like, when I watch Arsenal now, I, j- I just I don't see four three three. I don't see four two three one or anything like that. I see five five every single time. And, <laughs> and whenever like I watched it, but like again, my view at Bournemouth, I was in the front row in the corner. The first half when all the fun happened, we were kicking up the other end. And I forgot my sunglasses on a day Ooh. when the sun was absolutely. Be- I literally watched 
for those of you who watched yeah, the video. There's I a great picture watched. of all the away fans looking yeah. like they're doing Pepe's doing goal that. celebration, and they were like, yeah. "Oh, it's a farewell <laughs> ode to Pepe." <laughs> yeah, it's it was just like I had the whole, and and also like trying to just stop the sunburn as well, and my face mm-hmm. going bright red. So, you know, I couldn't see that well, but when I watched it back, it's just five five every single time, and and that's what I see. I don't see any other formation. I really don't. Mm. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing though is even as much as it looks so choreographed now in terms of the way the players work together and the, the understanding they have and the way the ball is moving every once in a while, it takes individual brilliance to get the ball rolling. Um, yep. we almost get the opening goal away to palace through individual Gabriel Jesus brilliance that falls to Martinelli, but he misses the sitter against Leicester. We get the ball rolling with individual brilliance from Jesus to put it in the back of the net. And here again today, it's individual brilliance that gets the ball rolling because Jesus takes four or five players out, lofted ball, strength to hold up, kills it dead, drives past three defenders, slides a through ball to Martinelli to take out the fourth defender, and then the Martinelli shot falls to Odegaard for the tap-in. And, you know, I've been saying this a lot, but we're going to see so many more scrambled goals and tap-in goals and things like that because of the number of players we can get close to the box, uh, inside the box, close to goal, taking shots from, from close positions. But once again, Tim, it's another game where Gabriel Jesus gets us off the mark through his own individual brilliance. And it cannot be overstated. What, what, what is the thing that I banged on about the last few seasons? A force of nature player, right? Mm-hmm. It was Van Persie. It was Henri. It was Alexis. A player who can take a game by the scruff of its neck and create something through his own individual brilliance that changes the way the, the strategy goes for both teams. Scoring first against a low block team is a big part of it. We do it, and again, it's it's Jesus that gets us started. Yeah, e- e- even I, for all of the qualities I've espoused about this guy, even I missed the kind of the hold up play <laughs> mm. element of it. That, that's the bit that, like, I'm not sure I've seen that from him before. It's not to say he's never done it, but um, the the way Ramsdale said he has a mean streak, and you see it yeah. right. The competitiveness oh, he does. To, in every duel. Yeah, a hundred percent. One of one of the things. Um, one of the things I, I have said many times is I've never worked out how Premier League defenders have never worked out that he actually he plays on the edge. He was mm-hmm. he was sent off a fair few times uh, playing for Palmeiras and has been for Brazil. Like he does play on the edge, but for some reason Premier League defenders have never twigged um, to, to try and get in his head. But but where he is, like again, that because you can talk about like structures and systems and all of that, but like where he is when Ben White miscues, so it's not a deliberate pass, and he's over off slightly to the left and he runs to the center, like mm-hmm. that wasn't choreographed. Nothing about that was choreographed, and then he takes it. Now the way he like smashes into the Bournemouth defender, who's like almost twice his size, and then kills it, and like everything else that happens there brilliant as it was like beating players in tight spaces seen that a million times from this guy and that's that's where like he started as a winger like people think he started as a striker and went to the wing other way around started as a winger became a striker went back to the wing so he's always had that but like the the holding the ball up part um is is just great and and the other thing i'd say though in terms of goal scoring is um i always feel like good teams with varied attacks basically there'll be like one day for each of your attackers um 
generally you want them all playing well, but in terms of like maybe goal scoring or making goals and like we've had the Martinelli day, we've had the Gabriel Jesus day and now we've got the Erdegaard day. Um, you know, we'll get the Saka day. Um, sure. Yep. You know, very, very soon. But do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I always feel like, like Man City, they always had like the Mares day, the Sterling day, the Sane day. Yep. Every day was the Aguero day. But do you, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like those good teams and, and Arsenal yep. had it with their really good teams. You had the Henri day again, most days or the Pires day or the Jungberg or the Wiltord day. And, and that, that's what this felt like in terms of the scoring of the goals. It feels to me like those guys have all been on a level um, this season um, so far. But then, like in terms of sticking it in the back of the net, there's different guy each game who's come out and gone. I was the goal. Sc- I was the one who scored the important goals today, and that's that's incredibly encouraging. Yeah, I, I joked. Um during the Newcastle game where City were struggling a little bit to break down Newcastle, you know, just really find their way through. I said, I'm a little nervous with a couple weeks of the window left that City are going to send a huge bid for Gabriel Jesus over to us because he looks exactly (laughs) like what they're missing right now. And I mean, it is sort of a miracle that we have gotten this player. And I I think there were some comments post-match also, you know, about Jesus just sort of saying, look, he was great at City, but he, you know, he had to be within that structure to keep his place. Now he, you know, he's playing through the middle with a lot more freedom to be the leader, and he can bring some of his own personal flair to the team. He doesn't have to worry that you know if he if he tries a little something or wants to dominate the ball a little bit that he's going to lose his place. I, I think some players thrive in competition, but maybe some players feel a little restricted in competition. Right, that yep. sense that. I have to just do exactly what's asked of me the right specific way and not take too many risks because if I lose the ball or I'm not in the right position, I might lose my place. And Jesus yeah. is everywhere and he's doing everything. And long may it continue. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and I guess to finish, the thing is Jesus did that fine. Or not more than fine. Like He did that brilliantly for City. Mm-hmm. But he was there, what, five and a half years I think after like four years, three years, four years of that, exactly the same for Zinchenko. Very, very similar in terms of the level of role he was playing. Yep. Like at some point, particularly at like when you're 25, at some point you probably go, okay, I've done this now. I need something else. I need to be the main guy or something, you know? And and yeah, I, I think they've both been like really, really liberated to come to I'm sure neither of them regrets a single second that they've spent at Manchester City, don't get me wrong, but I think they probably both just came to a stage where they're like, Okay, I've done that, I've got all my medals, I've worked with Pep Guardiola, he's brilliant. Probably the last year or so he started to get on my tits a little bit <laughs> as he mm-hmm. as he seems to with his intensity. So just to, you know, and it's not personal. It's not. Um, it's not like polemic. It's just it happens. Happens to all of us in our careers and in life. It's just like need a change. Need need a new challenge. And I, and I think I, I always felt this was the right one for him. And I'm I'm more than anything. I'm just delighted to be right, Elliot. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that is really what this is all about. More than anything, as you said. <laughs> but no, I mean it, it is wonderful to see and. Now we have that player and everybody else benefits as a result of it. Um, I want to have a chance, though, to do just a little schadenfreude with you before I let you go because we're going to get with uh, Paul and Clive just momentarily and dive into the game in a more granular way. But this this weekend, again, I mean, we didn't get quite the result we want from Spurs, and I could do a whole pod on how 
pathetic their football is and, and craven. And I mean, I get it. You got a couple of good forwards, lump it up to them and hope they win for you. And occasionally they do, but whatever, don't care about them. What we do care about is Chelsea getting absolutely smoked by Leeds and then Manchester City dropping points. And like, let's start with Chelsea. Tim, the only thing I can think of that will save them is four years at 400 grand a week for Aubameyang. That, that's it. And so <laughs> go do that. Add that to Sterling and Cucurella and you are, um, yeah, you're all set, Chelsea. We're good. I mean, that team and that manager look like maybe they're coming apart, it seems, a little bit. Yeah, and I've had this sense from them for a little while. Um, I did see like some tweets from Chelsea fans who were like, this hasn't been great since about New Year, effectively. Mm-hmm. And like they were all like tipped by, by myself as well um, to really challenge for the title last year. It never happened. I the, the thing I still don't get is I just don't get what kind of fucking unicorns Tuchel, Tuchel wants in his forward line. He's He's got so many, and don't get me wrong, I've said it millions of times, Chelsea, not strategic, they just throw money at the wall. But he's got like every type of attacker that he's inherited. Not, not a balanced unit or anything like that. Definitely get rid of a couple of them. He hates all of them. <laughs> I don't get why. It's like... What do you want from like an attack? Like what what are you actually after here? It just it seems really, really weird. And yeah, I I've said for a little while I, I did have a little hunch that he might go this summer, although more around the ownership thing rather than anything else. But yeah, I I I wouldn't bet a lot of money that he'll still be that he'll last till the end of the season. Um, and and I don't think it's because he'll be sacked, but mm. I do wonder if if he'll just be like. Mm. My only thing there is we just don't know what Bowley is going to be like versus Abramovich, right? Like we're so used to the Abramovich thing where it's like I don't care how good a manager I have, when I'm unhappy, I'm going to sack him, and I just don't know what Bowley's mentality will be there. It just, it is really incredible. If you can't win with Lukaku, and you can't win with Werner, and you can't find a place for Pulisic, and you can't find a place for Callum Hudson-Odoi, and you can't make it work with, you know, I don't know how they think Havertz is that good, but like, and and you think the answer is, I'll go get a a late, you know, a late prime, post prime, thirty year old, overpaid Aubameyang who couldn't make it work. That for I've already fallen Arsenal. out with, <laughs> right? And and I've right, good point. And I've fallen out with it at, at Dortmund previously. Like it, it smacks of not knowing, right? Of searching yeah. for the answer. Meanwhile, your your defense is non existent. You know, you, you've you've tried to move on from a midfield that worked for you to now not really knowing what that is. And I just, it's so great because. The thing that scared me is it's going to take time for Bowley to get this, but maybe the team's just good enough and Tuchel's just good enough that they will be able to push through Bowley's learning curve, but it doesn't look like that's the case. And if Bowley leans into thinking he knows how to fix it, I alone can fix it. Like They could get worse. They could be united. They could be a mm. club that spends but doesn't have a plan, doesn't know who the manager should be, won't build to him because you have a cult of personality at the top. Like They could be just as calamitous and hilarious as United and then, you know, you look and and Manchester City, like, they're they're probably gonna win the league. Like they they probably they have too much yeah. talent, the coach is too good, they're too established. But I do think that the Holland thing is an adjustment. Their players that are their most important players, you know, aren't you know, young, young anymore. I mean, Holland is obviously, but so I, and and I do think that sometimes just being able to refocus year in, year out to go try to get 92, 93, 95 points in the Premier League 
is hard. This may be a yeah. team that goes on to win the Champions League, but maybe they all suffer, Pep included, to really be focused and and locked in on the Premier League. And oh, by the way, I mean, they're down 3-1 to Newcastle, who are no slouches, and they come back and they bring it to 3-3 away. So, like, I'm not throwing sand on their grave, you know, throw sand on graves, dirt on their grave, but, like, do you buy that collectively Liverpool struggling physically after a lot of exertions and a small squad and, you know, losing some players city, maybe some of that same thing, Chelsea in transition, United in flux Spurs are Spurs. So you don't have to worry. They can never win a title. Even if they wanted to, are like, you saying that Leicester are going to win the league? I, I'm, I mean, <laughs> I'm saying that we are Leicester. That's what I'm saying. This is, it's not, it doesn't feel, and I know we're three games in, but it doesn't feel the first game of the preseason, I joked, we're going to win the league. That's being silly. It, <laughs> I, I guess the best thing I can say, Tim, and I want to see if you agree, I don't feel absurd suggesting it's a goal. And again, mm. we're three games in. We haven't played amazing teams. But I, I'm merely saying that the suggestion no longer feels totally absurd to me, as it might have just a week or two or three ago. Yeah, and and, and a lot of that is, like you say, because City and Liverpool were, are going through some things. Uh, and, and, you know, I watched this game and for 60 minutes, City seemed to forget that Haaland was there. <laughs> and then yeah. all of a sudden, when they were 3-1 down, they were like, oh, fuck, he's here. <laughs> We've got him. Because, um, like, he scores and then he goes through one-on-one within two minutes and then you know Newcastle are um, on the rack. Um, maybe that's a really unfortunate uh, turn of phrase for Newcastle, <laughs> but um, but yeah, yeah, like it, it might like I don't think it will be a hundred point year. I I agree. I think City will win the league. I think they'll probably win it quite easily. The, the thing about City, you're right about that adjustment with Haaland. They've lost like Sterling, Jesus. These are guys Zinchenko. These are guys, these are good players who know that system inside out. And of course, it's going to be in a bit of an adjustment. And Bernardo Silva, who scored a brilliant goal today, he's been like mentally half in and half out for a little while. So they've lost Fernandinho, who, um, although not an on-pitch presence anymore, like an as an off-pitch kind of lead, you know, some bits have come out of that squad. None of them irreplaceable, but, you know, you, you add them together and I think they add up to something. Um, but I would also say that City do tend to... They do... There have been some seasons where they've started slow, like the COVID season. They started quite slowly, and then I think they figured out. I think they figured out COVID football, and like they called their press off a little bit, and they were like, "Look, let's just go back to being Man City and passing teams to death, and keeping the ball and and all of that." And they went and won the league. Like I, I wouldn't mind betting that they get over this adjustment pretty quickly, but it's an adjustment yeah. nonetheless. Look. They conceded 2.3 expected goals in this game, but they had 3.57 expected goals, 70% possession, 21 shots. Like, I'm I'm by no means suggesting they're done. It's just that more than anything, I guess all I was trying to say is, and it is the euphoria of winning three games, and, and it, <laughs> three games from now, I could literally have audio of this clipped and thrown on the internet, embarrassing myself. But, like, I cannot name another time in literally recent memory, would be the Leicester season, was the last time that I didn't feel absurd saying at any point in the season, I don't think we're out of it. 
You know, yeah. we, we've yeah, kicked yeah, yeah. off every season being out of it in recent memory. Put it this way, that it's way the most likely it's been for a long time. And that's not the same as saying it's happening, right. but it's the most likely. No, that likely could mean it's a 10% chance, but that's above the 0% yeah. chance it's been season. Exactly. So that's well, that's well explained. Okay, let's leave it there. we got to get into the actual game with Clive and Paul. Tim's on Twitter, at Stoberto. Tim, you have something, uh, final thought? No, no, I was just no, going to oh, say... No. I saw a little finger go up. I didn't know if you had any any final thought there. Oh, no, I was just waving to the camera. Waving? Um, it's, a wave, it's a wave. Okay, missed it. My bad. <laughs> no, you know, was, it was, was a blurry say, pixel. Kind of like what kept uh, <laughs> Jesus from scoring his, his goal the other day. What were you going to say? I was just going to say my pleasure as always. Thank you very much. That's Tim. We'll come back with uh, Paul and Clive now. But before we do that, hey, you know what happens when Arsenal win? Like, I can't wait to watch things like Match of the Day. I can't wait to consume some of the more mainstream football content that I would normally avoid. But the way things are going now, bad for our rivals, good for us. I want to consume it, but I can't because in the U.S. and yada, yada. Well, there are ways around that. There are ways to browse in the country that you want to be in, ways to watch in the country you want to be in. Maybe you want to catch that 3 p.m. kickoff and you've got that NBC account, but, you know, you're not in your NBC region anymore? Well, NordVPN has the solution for that. It gives you a full creative freedom when it comes to the presentation of your internet needs and browsing, right? I mean, are you missing out on your favorite show because it's not available where you are? Well, you're trying to keep your private time private on the internet? NordVPN is here for that. So, you know, look, I can now watch Match of the Day. I can now see UK Netflix. I can now view that all or nothing episode right when it drops, okay? And using our NordVPN discount, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan and one month free. It's nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision. That's nordvpn.com slash arsenalvision, right? We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted, so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. That's the other thing. I mean, like, I recently just had my credit card stolen on the internet. Not a fun thing. You call the company, you're like, hey, there's... $2,000 of charges here that clearly I didn't make. They're like, well, we'll look into it. Forget it. You use Nord, you're safe on the internet, you're private on the internet, and you're browsing in the region you want to browse in. All good things and all very helpful things when you want to consume the football content about the Arsenal being good. So they've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk when you sign up with a 30-day money-back guarantee, give it a try. And if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund. And you can pretend the entire situation never happened, kind of like the way Chelsea might feel about their trip to Leeds. So check out the link, nordvpn.com forward slash arsenalvision, nordvpn.com forward slash arsenalvision. Get your subscription started today. Do it now. And once you are safe on the internet, you can safely go about finding the talent for your business and the talent partner you need to hire to attract to interview all in one place is Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Matches, has the virtual interviews. Within some match, over 80% of employees get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match the job description the moment they sponsor a postcard in Indeed data. Look, the one I want you to hear about is assessments. You know all about Indeed by now. You're using Indeed by now. But assessments make sense. If you are applying to a job and you're like, great, just throw my resume on the pile. I hope they see it. If you're looking for talent, you're like, great, another pile of resumes. What does it do for me? The assessments let you make sure that the skills that are most important for the job are the skills possessed by the applicant and the applicant can show off those skills. Helps star applicants shine with over 135 assessment tests from Cooking to Coding. 
prove themselves before the interview. So the interview is more productive. You can dive deeper into what's important to you both. And it even is a uh, way to predict performance once you hire. Indeed, it's the only job site where you pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. It's time to join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed, Elliot? Is that over that? Indeed. And Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo. Woohoo, indeed. I do want to let everybody know. Look, some days Clive comes on here and I'm like, this guy is so smart. This guy just gets it. He understands things at a deep level. And I am in awe of his intellect, which I can only strive to approach. And I think every once in a while, the world gives you something so that you can feel better about yourself. And that happened to me today. When Clive came into our recording environment and declared forcefully, there is a technical error, I cannot hear anything. And I looked at him in the camera and typed into the chat, your headphones aren't in your ears, which was indeed the technical problem. So today is my day to gloat. We can gloat about Chelsea and we can gloat about City and we can gloat about United who play tomorrow or today if you're listening to this and that should be fun. There's going to be schadenfreude all over the place, just all over the walls, all over the floors, all over the ceiling. But... There's also Clive forgetting to put his headphones in his ears, and I, for one, loved it. So, the football's good, the recording is good, the friendships are good, and Clive, I think that Manchester City might be regretting their decision to send the best player in the Premier League to Arsenal. We are not regretting it. I said this to Tim, but I want to dive into it a little more. The most important thing you can do in football is score the first goal. It's not going to decide the game, but certainly against teams that want to pack it in, that want to see if they can get to halftime, nil-nil, maybe start to feel confident. If you can get that first goal, you change the dynamic. We've seen it happen against us. We've also seen seen it happen for us. Against Palace, Gabriel Jesus' brilliance, sitter for Martinelli could have been the first goal. Against Leicester, Gabriel Jesus' individual brilliance for a goal. And against Bournemouth, Gabriel Jesus takes the ball down, kills it dead, beats four guys, slides it to Martinelli, and it's a tap-in for Odegaard. It's not just his skill. It's his ability to step up before the game has been decided. Not to tap in the fourth and fifth goals, but to open the scoring that I think is showing that he has more than just talent. He has real responsibility. And um, you know that, that, for me, has been one of the big takeaways so far is his, his leadership on the pitch in terms of the responsibility he takes right from the start of the game. Yeah, there's a couple of things here. I'll often use the term when I'm doing my little bit of coaching, life coaching and exec coaching. You have your peak work years. We all have those years in our career when we don't mind, work, we don't mind working 14 hours. Well, no problem. I'll take four trains to work. These are my peak working years, my career years, when I'm building myself, building my earning power. This, And I feel we picked up Jesus in his peak working years. Just because he's a pro footballer, he's ready to go. He's building his career with us based on his persona as a 25-year-old, not as a 19-year-old when he arrived in the country, right? So so we have him at the right time. He's walked into our room and said, yeah, I like these people here. I have a role. It's not about your ability to play. It's about the role that you have and your responsibility within the club environment that has put faith in you. And he seems a humble individual that actually um, 
is repaying that with his with his ability on the pitch and how he applies himself and the example that he sets. You think about football, and we've all now had an exposure to the dressing room, so we all know about team talks now, right? So yep. we're all experts, right? So that fair? <laughs> every single every single team says the same thing. We want to get on the front foot. We want to impose our game on them. We make sure we get after them. First tackle, first challenge, blah, blah, blah. You've heard it all now. Trust me, I, I hear it every week. And my the manager I work with is pretty vociferous, right? So, And to get your game out, to get your game on before the opposition does, needs a certain amount of quality, a certain amount of intensity that makes you different to the other elite athletes in the league. And we have that in Jesus. We have that in other players too. Everyone wants to do the same thing. They want to control the story of the game. So why are we getting to control more stories right now? Because we are a cohesive, one-brain unit that is on the same pace, that completely buy in. And that's why the manager has ripped out the guts of this squad to get to here. So people that were worried about certain individuals who were their favourites, it doesn't matter who they are, as long as... As we're all on the same boat, you live and die by it. Do you see what I mean? And we can all see it now, and it all, be, and it all looks clear. And Jesus is obviously one of those uh, flagships in that um, in that environment, and that, and I, I, it's so clear to everybody right now. And what I said last night on the instant reaction, it's I'm so happy that everyone can see everything. Do you know what I mean? And by that, it's great because we all become unified, then, isn't it? And no mysteries, you know. We can all see it. We all enjoy it, and it's just brilliant. Really, it's yeah. Um, Paul, do you want to do you want to add to that? I mean, look, we we've talked so much about Gabriel Jesus. I'm I'm reluctant to do too much on him because there's so much more to to get out of this game. But it, it is really interesting to see the way he just transforms this team. And what's interesting is if you look at his heat map from this game, there's a lot more on the right side. And what do you know, Odegaard? much more involved in the game. Saka more involved in the game. And the left pod wasn't as dominant. Where Jesus goes, good things happen for the players on that part of the pitch. Yeah, most of our attacks came down the right-hand side for sure mm-hmm. for the first time in three games. I think 45% or 43% of our attacks were down the right-hand side according to whoscored.com. Um, and you look that up because you think, ooh, that was different. Um, ben White overlapping. Um the lads swinging in from the right-hand side to get on the end of stuff from the left-hand side. It was still very dynamic. Um, I think what's been eye-popping with Jesus, I mean, Bournemouth aren't great, but they had an effective plan to the point people thought this might be a fairly stiff challenge, that we should win, but a stiff challenge. They had some big, big lads in their team. And Jesus is showing that if he gets marked by a big centre-back, he can roll them. He'll bump them in the air and and win a header or knock them off the ball. Um, that they need to respect him when they're muscling him because he'll spin them and make them look stupid. He, uh, he'll drop in uh, with speed into midfield and create space between him and the centre-back who's following him, who needs to be careful because he's about to be put on his ass. And that happened once or twice in this game. Uh, the lead into the first goal is basically that, and Gabriel Jesus puts his centre-back on his ass, uh, slaloms past three players, squirts it out to the left of Martinelli, who gets a shot on target, and Odegaard is there on somewhere between the penalty spot and the six-yard box to swoop in. 
And it's all, it's like he's got two assists for setting up two goals. The second one, the goalkeeper doesn't know what hit him. He thinks Jesus is going to bang in a shot and Odegaard takes it off his toe, puts it the other side of the goal. Uh, it's just so dynamic and chaos uh, oriented, but it's chaos we're creating. Um, he's fantastic. Um, the, the physicality of his play is the eye opener. Like I've been playing around with this. Could he match Haaland? for this season or for this uh these upcoming seasons in terms of being uh the the center forward people are talking about and you you think of Haaland and his physicality and like and his power and his running and like Jesus has got all of that at the moment i mean it, these are these are the, this should be phrased humbly against a phenom like Haaland but like the conversation is there right now and he's all over the pitch in a way that I think Haaland is much more anchored to that center. And for positional play, it's just, look, um, Haaland can do whatever he likes, but we've got a guy who enters the conversation in terms of uh, a center forward that everybody should be talking about. It's, it's great and it's just opened us our unpredictability, our, the ways in which we can attack his dribbling uh, creates things for himself and others. Yeah, and Clive, like the the interesting thing is if you look at what's happening in the box, Odegaard gets a tap in, and he gets not a tap in, but a really nice taken second. But, you know, off of a touch from Jesus in the box, drawing a lot of attention, Shaka has a tap in from the center of the box this season. We have uh, Martinelli should have scored a, a pretty easy chance in the first game against Palace. And all of these things happen because of the amount of attention that is required to track a Gabriel Jesus run. It's no accident that he's one blurry pixel offside from scoring a, a very good goal, a very well-taken goal, and a very beautiful Odegaard assist in this game, and, and stays onside for others. His runs are so sharp, defenders have to drop and follow, or he can beat a defender and pull another one out. And so what that's doing is it's just creating loads of space for other players. Earlier games, that had benefited Martinelli. In this game, the one who really reaps the benefit winds up being um, Odegaard. But but is that fair? That like One of the things that's happening for us in the box is that he's demanding more attention. Our last center forward, right? An easy day for the center backs. They could focus on where the threat was. Now they have to follow this guy. They have to track his runs. And suddenly there's a lot more room for everybody else. And they're really enjoying it. Yeah, you have to respect him. Uh, you have to respect him, so you have to mark him. But what he's doing, he's very good in his one-on-ones. So you don't have to respect him one-on-one. You've got to respect him two-on-one. But the rest of the team has to say, okay, we have somebody that's in charge of his jewels, so I need to move. I need to run. I need to run through. I need to collapse the defence. And they're doing that. People that are not deemed to be good at that are doing that because they know they need to do that. You see what I mean? If someone punches out of his hole, someone's got to punch in. And whether it's Shaka, who's we've all think is a is a left of a double pivot, he's saying, "Well, now I'm going to show you I got something else. I'm going to arrive on the back post. I'm going to drive through. I'm going to distract. I'm going to move people around." It's just it's just a cohesion that we're seeing. Right? And um, I, I I know I said this before, and I learned this only last year. I've said this I've said this a hundred times, and I really want people to get it. When I say you're as good as your forwards are, a team delivers hope from what that guy can do. The, the, guy, the whole 
the whole thing about football is to score. When the guys at the top end of the pitch are doing things to defenders that make you feel emboldened and powerful and strong in your game, what you do as a midfielder is you, you step onto the play. You win the second balls. What you do as a defender when the ball's being pressed on the exit, you get up behind people. You're a lot tighter. You're not dropping off. You're winning collisions. You're retaining the ball. You're ringing the box. You're maintaining ways of attack. And I don't want to just say oh, it's just one player because we're not a one-man team. But I think he lifts people. Players like that lift people. We've seen the physical, for me, You've seen a physical step forward in Marceni, and why wouldn't you? He's now 21, and so basically he's still growing up. You've seen what Saka can do. He's shouldering people to the floor. He's just 20 years of age. You know, the potential is massive. Odegaard's not a stranger to the league anymore. He understands what's going to happen to him if he doesn't look after the ball. And so we are just developing into a unit which looks very, very balanced. I can't stress this enough, really. Um... I always say to myself, the hope of a forward gives you gives us all hope. So I found myself thinking today, Elliot, I've done a bit of a you, actually. Yeah. I hope you don't mind, right? But when we have a player that good in those areas, I'm starting to think, okay, what do we do now? Because he won't be able to play every single game, every single minute. Mm. What do we do? Yeah. What do we do? He's, he's gapping people. Right, he's gapping people. Eddie shows a lot of promise. He looks quite nice, but I'm starting to think you're going full whiskers is, on me here. You, you no, this is what this is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. You might like this actually. Okay, I've been, I've been looking. I've been looking at wingers today, and everyone thinks we need a, a Saka replacement. I'm, I don't think we do. I think we just need, because I think Vieira can do a job there. I think smith can do a job on the right-hand side. I'm not worried about it. Most teams attack left, right? We have, most teams are asymmetric. They attack left strongly. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to think we need a left winger, a really strong, explosive left winger. And because I think the next best centre-forward that mirrors Jesus is Martinelli. That's what I think. I think his game and physicality is developing to a level. He's the only one that can do something close to what Jesus could do. And people say, what about Eddie Clive? What about the goals scored in the last season? Trust, trust me when I say this. There's a level of intensity and physicality that the, only, the closest player we have to Jesus is Martinelli. It's to be confirmed does that happen tomorrow morning? But if we were to if we were to have a, a problem there, I can see that player moving inside a little more, and maybe dovetailing with an Eddie and rotating a little bit more. That's why Eddie sometimes coming on in wide areas. Do you see where I'm going? Wide areas on the left hand side. They're developing a plan. They're developing partnerships. They're developing relationships while the going is good. Exactly what I said we should have done. Back in March, remember when I said it? We needed to do this. We didn't score enough goals to allow us to do it. When you're feeling up, you can you can do this stuff, right? And I can see what they're doing on the pitch. They're learning while winning. And it's just fantastic. The manager is decent, mate. I'm telling you, he's decent. <laughs> he's decent. I think he's decent. I, I think we can all get on, on board with that. I mean, um, well, so, all right. So look, we all get where we're at with, with Gabriel Jesus. And look, I, I think that, the, the lift it has for the team is clear, and Odegaard benefits from it in this game. But 
Paul, I think it's great and important that Odegaard has that game he hasn't. And it's it's such a shame the goal is ruled out, right? Because Jesus' day deserved a goal. And yeah, the great little finish. Deser- yeah, great, great finish. Run. And the pass deserved an assist. And I think it would have been the perfect wrap-up to the game for both of them. I actually think Jesus would have come off then, right? I think he yep. was left on to go get his goal in this game. I, I think that was a switch, that it would have been Jesus coming off for Enkedia, but then the goal's ruled out and he leaves him on because I think that guy would have not been happy with Mikel if he didn't get his chance to go for his goal in this game. But I, I think, look, it's going to sound silly to say I think it's important that Odegaard had the good game, right? But he's been given the armband for this season. It's not that he hasn't been good. He's just been a little more peripheral, and he gets two goals in this game and should have been an assist, and he gets to feel that that you know pressure lift to whatever extent that pressure starts to build. And I, I think it's just nice for a player who's had a little more pressure put on him by giving him the armband, right, in a team that's firing, to just show what he can do. And I think it was a really interesting insight from the instant reaction pod that I'm now going to steal and repeat as though it was just mine, which is maybe just maybe not taking that right-footed shot when he was in, right? Was it against Palace, right? Against Palace? Um, Made him think, I, I got to get my shots off when I'm in dangerous territory. He takes it off of Jesus's toe for the second one. But do you think that there, there was not a risk that we were going to have a problem with Odegaard, but just that there's a benefit to him getting off, you know, getting getting his season off and running now with a big, big game to sort of lift any of the pressure he might have felt to the armband in the, in the first couple of games being a little bit more um, anonymous for him. Yeah, sure. Look, I wasn't super worried about him or Saka. Uh, I guess there Well, you were, because on the live stream, when I said, who's going to have a breakout game in this game? And I said, I personally <laughs> think it's Odegaard. I think he's going to have a great breakout game. You said, no, I think he'll be muted again. The guy's not very good. I, 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 that's actually kind of true-ish. I said, it's about 80% true. <laughs> yeah, I kind of said, I'll, I, I certainly won't be surprised. And I kind of expect he might have a bit of a quieter game still, because I still thought we'd be doing it down the left-hand side and swinging it into the other side. But I'm, like, I've been fine with that. Odegaard and Saka are players that are so technical, so good. I don't really think form's a thing for them. I'm not even that sure that confidence is a thing for them, as long as they'll get into the box. Um, and if if we'd kept creating down the left side of this uh, of our attack in this game and swinging shots into the the box, I know that Odegaard and Saka are going to get in and get on the end of them. Now, that's kind of what happened anyway, but not necessarily through the fact that all of our building was down the left-hand side. It's just those were the, were the, where the chances came from. Um, uh, yeah, Odegaard. So the, uh, I was interested in the first half because, like, you go back and you think, well, he scored two goals. How busy was he? He was very, very busy. He was very was. much involved in our, our build-up play. Uh, you go and look at the touches, and the guys with all the touches are are two slash three centre backs, and you saw White dropping in to form a three quite often with the boys. Zinchenko, of course, all over that ball, helping build out, and uh, Odegaard right with them. So Odegaard has fifty seven touches in the first half. That's a lot. Zinchenko fifty nine. So like, and you go back and you have a look at it, and you say, yeah, okay, that makes perfect sense. Odegaard was dropping in, floating around. Like, it wasn't just key moments Odegaard was in, in, involved and important. In fact, he might have been there for the biggest moment of the whole game, if I can swing left for a moment. So, you know, I know Tim will have talked a lot about the chant. Mm-hmm. So I was intrigued 
in this game to work out where does a song come from? Where is the genesis of a song? So I did a little video, put it out on the Twitters. Uh, I'll I'll put it in the tweets to when we when we launch this podcast today. And around thirty six minutes, uh, Saliba intercepts a ball, and the crowd gives him a big cheer, and then they break out the Oh William Saliba, Oh William Saliba, which and it it lasts two bars, and then a minute later you hear about three or four guys. It's probably a lot more. Just coming through the hubbub, there's a do-do-do coming along. <laughs> and they get to Saliba. Only they're still working out the kinks. And in fact, a whole bunch of people shout Saliba too soon. So there's two Salibas, one after the other. And then about 30 seconds later, it's a bit louder. And a minute later, it's like, oh, yeah, this is something. And then it goes and it builds. And the commentators start talking about it. And then some stuff happens and there's some action and the ball goes out of play and you think, oh yeah, it's dying down. But this, this, you know, the Menomino song. Yeah. When he gets it. And then it gets really, really quiet at one point. Yeah. This has that quality about it. You just need one guy going do, 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 do. And then thousands of guys jump, jump in on the Saliba. Um, and it's really tested when, like, one of the uh, Bournemouth guys gets a concussion kind of situation. He's not his face is all mashed up and it's bleeding, and it's like the song kind of dies down because the guy's kind of he might like leave us. He might pass away. He's fine in the end, um, and it's like you know we're curried, concerned about their player, but this is a very very catchy song, so. Why not both? So mm-hmm. the guy's lying down. We've got a couple of guys around him checking if he's okay. And then I'm pretty sure I see his left foot start to twitch in tune with the chant. And I'm like, oh, he's going to be okay. And suddenly <laughs> he shouts Saliba. Along. No, he doesn't. But anyway, there's there's a comic element to the fact that the Saliba song's just banging away. It goes on for eight, nine minutes. I think it's undefeatable because you just need one guy to keep the flame alive on the do-do-do, and then all the other 5,000 people got to do is shout Saliba every 30 seconds. And off we go again. And yeah, off and, we go again. It's and fantastic. Like, I love having a chant that drives everybody else crazy because the commentators <laughs> hated it, and you know away fans are going to hate it. And it's funny too, right? It's never the best, best players that have the best, best chance, or it's not always like... There was one point in the game, but yeah, might be. But there was one point in the game where they tried to get a um, Saka and Emil Smith Rowe chant going, which is a fantastic chant, right? Here we go, and like it lasted, like you said, like a couple bars because they were so desperate to get back to the tequila one for Saliba. (laughs) So it's just funny. I mean, I I love it. A a new a new song is born right after the very good Zinchenko song was born, and it's it's a, a season of songs so far. Clive, I want to do. Can we do just a quick quick section on one thing? Because we got to get to Saliba. We got to talk about his goal. We got to talk about his performance. Zinchenko as well. But Ben White starting to get a little bit of the intricacies of right back, I think, is interesting. Because the second goal comes from him doing something we had not yet seen him do. Overlap. He overlaps. He gets to the byline. And it's a it's a really nice cutback to the right area. And I do think that we don't do a lot of overlapping to begin with. Our fullbacks, that's not what they do. Certainly not what Zinchenko does. Um, sometimes it's Shaka doing it over Martinelli. I mean, there's all kinds of weird things happening on the left. But I think it's another string in our, on our to our bow if White can do some of those 
right backy type things in addition to the other roles he's playing. So I thought that was a good a good sign. I don't think um, there's really much question about him defensively. He really has shut down the threats that come from his side mostly. But but I liked seeing that that overlap and cutback. What, what do you think about him sort of learning the role of a right back in real time? Well, I don't think he's learning anything. I just think he plays in that right hand zone and so has done for. Clive, Clive thinks yeah. White's an idiot. I seems harsh, but you know. He, play, he plays in that right-hand zone of the pitch. Just watch the videos from last year, right? And that's where he's played. He has a diff- he has a starting position as a centre-back, so he has a level of responsibility that's maybe six yards inside. But if you watch us, he's out on that touchline a lot. So he's barely changed. we just got more insurance behind him. I, I get – when you say the word right-back, I sort of like – I wince. And I, I sat in the – Because that's not – I, I, I get it. It, yeah. Well, it's your accent. No, <laughs> you've got that. Yeah, the American I, I, thing. Oh, Jesus. Nasally. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to explain this because what we have here is a a hybrid defender, which is a front footed defender that plays in midfield and also rolls around into a back three, right? So, and so he actually the last bit of his role is the right back stuff. Do you know what I mean? The primary part yeah. of his role is to solidify midfield to stop the transitions and to make sure if we get exposed on our left-hand side because our left-back is not really a left-back, he's more of a, a midfielder in the central zones and out wide and sometimes high. And what Ben White does, he enables us to have that player there so we have we have the right balance, we have the right level of security. He supports Saliba in the, in the one-on-ones. He's taken the best player on the opposition team in um, Sahara in one game and had a great tackle success and people were wondering about him because he gave two passes away. Switch your analysis. Don't think of him having number two on his back. He plays in an area of the pitch which he's perfectly suited for. He is super sharp around the corner in transition. He's super sharp tackling when he from behind. He intercepts. He can travel. He can pass. He can use the ball both feet. He's just a player that plays in our defence on the right-hand zone. That's it. We have a player playing on the left-hand zone of our pitch who's never there. Right? He's always somewhere else. He's double-pivoting with parties so he can't block him off. He's being there and available. He's having 50 touches a half. That's working. And the reason why he can go where he likes is because we've got the security of Ben White there. To see him as an enabling defender for other people, but also somebody that underlaps and supports our right-hand side. Now, because we required something else in that goal, the run-around movement, he did it. His crosses are a little bit, you know, they look like a bit of a sticking sect out there. Do you know what I mean? He's not really whipping around the ball. But he gets into the area, and we obviously we scored a goal from it. So, so I really rate this player. I really rate his versatility. I really rate his heart. I really want people to see him as I think the manager's seen him and not how we see that position used traditionally. Because if you can tell me about what we're watching, in particularly in our back five, per se, our three-two, or two-three, sorry, um, it's not traditional, is it? It's not traditional football as we grew up with. So we need to adapt our analysis accordingly based on what we all now know positional play that Arsenal are playing and what City do, etc. Lots of teams do. Ben White is perfect for that right-hand zone for me and I think he had a fantastic game. 
It's it's in, uh, yeah, it's interesting because Tomiyasu came in and he played just a little bit, but we got did get to see some of the flashes of what he can do. He played a couple of really good line breaking passes. You see, you know, his, his defensive awareness and I think you can start either of those guys in that position and you don't lose a thing. I think they are absolutely essentially equal. There may be some things Tomiyasu is slightly better at than White, and White might have a few things he can do Tomiyasu isn't as good at. But like by and large, they are equally as good as each other, but I think equally suited to the role they're given. It's very different than what's going on on the left, for example, because do I think Tierney is as good as Zinchenko? I think Tierney is a sensational player. I don't think Tierney can do the stuff Zinchenko does the way we're using it. I think it would necessitate a slight change in approach. Whereas White and Tomiyasu, I think, can play that role in the same way. And it'll be interesting because between Tomiyasu, Gabriel, Saliba, and White, you really have four guys that would be very comfortable playing center back, any of them. Um, So there's a lot of flexibility there. But uh, Clive, I'll stay with you just for a second, then we'll we'll come back, uh, Paul, and talk about this. Let's talk about Saliba because, I mean, look, he only completed 100% of his passes. I think it's fair to say why he didn't complete more. He didn't complete any of the passes he didn't attempt. Not one of them. He did not complete a single pass he didn't attempt. Shocking stuff. No, 100% complete. And he's not just sliding it over to Gabriel. He's finding other players too. Um, he scores a goal that's a sensational bit of skill that leaves Zinchenko literally holding his head in astonishment um, and, and glowing about him after the match. He's got a song now that is near Worm, and it's like... Whatever you want to say about the journey it took to get here, you certainly couldn't have drawn up the destination any better. So, Clive, he he's not a perfect player. I mean, th- there are things about the way he defends that I think he will still have to develop on, but what he does on the ball is just a massive value add to the way we want to play. And it's great to see how well this season has started for him, the way the crowd lifted him after the own goal, and now this song. He's got to feel like those days where he was given interviews every day to the French press, you know, about his frustrations, like those must feel like a million years ago now. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's another example of the fans knowing their role in all of this. We're trying to lift people, support people, make this a welcoming place to be. We're going to be there to support you young players for your difficult moments. And I love that. I love that change. I've always wanted to be a better supporter. And, um, and that's been one of the reasons why I do this podcasting, actually, to be a better supporter. And, and what, I, what I know about the game, share it, and hopefully other people can can learn bits and pieces from what I talk about, right? So I'm loving what I'm seeing around the club at the moment. i absolutely loving the support angle, the well-being angle, the, the unity, the club angle. This is exactly why I support Arsenal. I, I just absolutely love it. On Saliba, we all, we all know the player. We've watched YouTube for three years, for God's sake. We, we know everything about him, every movement, when he was raw, when he's not heading out of his own box, when he's ducking under balls. But for me, Elliot, you're somebody, we, we, we know each other well now. You look, at, you look at the things on the ball a lot. Um, for me, I'm looking at what he does off the ball and how he literally shuts down balls down the side. His early movement to read the play down the side. He wins races. He wins races to the ball. You win races because you read the play. You win races because your your physicality imposes yourself on the opposition. They don't want to. They don't want to go near you. And so, for me, for someone so young to have that presence that none of us can miss, 
if you can tell me how many 21-year-old centre-backs have that presence in recent memory, I don't know many. I really don't know many. You know, and yeah. it, it, sometimes we have to take a breath and say, well, well, what have we got here? No, generally, generally, what have we got here? You know, think about, we all know we've all been around. We're not, we're not 22 year olds, right? We've all been around. Think back, you know, throughout football and say, what's going on? He's more than likely going to be in the French first team for the World Cup at 21. Easily. Not going to pick Varane, are they? Mm-hmm. No chance, right? So this is He's got a this terrible is, song. <laughs> this is a <laughs> this is a serious moment here. And there are three young players in our team in Saka Martelli and Saliba. If they sign their contracts, we are gonna we're in a yeah. very strong position. A very yeah, strong Paul. position going forward. Yeah, just a quick thing on Saliba. So uh it, it may become more and more of a thing, but he's like he's just central to the passing. When you look at the pass map, uh, we kind of form a diamond with Gabriel pushed over to the lever- left to cover Zinchenko, uh, Ben White dropping into the back line quite a lot, and the guy pulling the strings is Saliba. Got the most touches, at least based on the first half, which is the only thing I've pulled up here. But when, when I went back to look at the chant, I'm like, I end up watching Saliba, and he's bossing it, and he's painted around the place it's a really good game for party too i know we've had some concerns about has he hit his you know is he hitting form yet uh, i think he's been instrumental in how we've set up and played in the first two games but maybe not quite had his usual touch between him zinchenko party saliba i mean they're just bashing it around the place and it was clear that the bournemouth weren't weren't great but part of that was i think they were set up to get up the pitch get a couple of corner kicks get a couple of free kicks in the first half wheeling their aircraft carriers of players more billings (laughs) that other fell at the back i mean there were i I was thinking about it and thinking why did i come up with aircraft as my analogy when i was thinking about this a little earlier and then the the screen flashes to scotty parker with his three stripes on his arm (laughs) i'm like oh the admiral um it's ridiculous gear but uh like we saw in the second half when they got their chances to get their players up the pitch. But in the first half, we did not let them out. And part of that was Saliba ganging up with Ben White on his side. And up the front end, you'd see Zinchenko, Martinelli hunting down. Like they were just hunting in packs, stopping them getting out and boshing them when they went long. So, yeah. Uh, but Saliba's distribution, like he would, people just look to him and know he'll take the ball, put it somewhere safe, do something clever. He's he's got such poise for a twenty-one-year-old. He, he does, and and like, it, look, when you complete one hundred percent of your passes, that's great. But that's not a qualitative metric; it's a quantitative metric, obviously, and it, it doesn't necessarily say, you know, how good those passes are. I think there's a lot of tricky passes in there, and the nice thing is, it's not that he, all the passes he completed were to Ramsdale and Gabriel, right? I mean, he did pass to Gabriel quite a bit. He only completed three passes to Ramsdale. He completes 32 passes combined to Odegaard, Zinchenko, and Thomas Party. So he's he's also giving it to players who are positioned to really build play. He's progressing the ball. He's breaking the lines. He's moving it up the pitch. So, uh, you know, I think that's critical. We can finish on Saliba, but I do just want to say, Clive, like the 
The finish is sensational. And um, it's a set piece. It's brilliantly drawn up. And Zinchenko was asked if, if that's a finish he's seen in training. He said, nope, <laughs> haven't seen that before. But who needs headers when you can strike the ball that sweetly with your left foot? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good call. Actually, I just want to discuss this with you guys, right? Because obviously you both um, stuck on the distribution side of things because you can mm-hmm. measure it. We can see the passing and we can see it. But I didn't think that was an issue with Ben White last year. I thought his distribution was really, really good. You know, so And so I don't see that as a – and by the way, I could be critiqued here. I was going to say it. I don't see that as a massive uptick in our team, per se. But what I do see is our defensive security has gone up through the roof. Right? So when we were rocky last year, in those games we can all, we can all remember – I'm looking at this, and I don't feel we're going to be bossed. I don't. I think the addition of this guy into our back four, back five, whatever you want to say, has made me feel like well, I've, we can play against Mateta at Crystal Palace, and I don't worry about it anymore. Do you know what I mean? Because you've got White, Saliba, and Gabriel. So the physical presence for me is the, is the, is the measure. The distribution side of things, I think we've improved anyway on that from last year but his extra size weight speed is what really stands out for me and that gives me comfort and i'm now looking elsewhere for improvements in the team does that mean i'm looking elsewhere for the solution so sorry mate well yeah because because we're gonna play higher up the pitch which means we're gonna be more exposed by long balls and if you're gonna if you're gonna be higher up the pitch you need your center back to win races and you need your center back to be able to go shoulder to shoulder with someone and win that, right? And so yeah. I think Saliba gives us the ability to recover those positions when the long balls go in and, and use his his physique to win those duels. Um, we see Liverpool cleans up their defense that way in the same way with Van Dyke. You need a player who can do that. City does it with Diaz, right? Um, but but I, I think the reason I focus on the distribution is I think Saliba's going to just get better and better and better. He's such a young player. Yeah. I think if you and maybe this is me getting too far into metrics and data, the thing that jumps off the page about him is his distribution and the progressive yeah. qualities of his distribution. And so, I and I think, look, we could put a great think- defender in there and moved White out to the flank, but if Saliba was a poor passer, I don't think we'd be able to tolerate the difference. Right? You can't have 76 passes coming from a center back who's poor on the ball. So Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's a balance, it's, isn't it? You know it? what it is? It's a virtuous circle, right, Paul? It, it's a balance. Yeah, well, the other part of the distribution is like the mental part, right? It's not just the ability. He's got the poise, presence, the standing within the team to basically take, inherit, or be given the central role to ping shots around and for everybody to feel the same sense of calm that Clive has, not just defensively, but on the ball. I mean, that's for mm-hmm. a 21-year-old, it's huge. Like, How often does he go to ground? I mean, do you see, yeah. you don't see him go to ground much, right? I mean, like the the thing with Mustafi that used to drive me crazy is just the guy was on the ground before the ball was even coming at. Like he was slide tackling before there was even a player there, and and you just take yourself out of the play because Saliba has the pace and the physique. He doesn't need to go to ground, right? And that that gives you options, it keeps you in the physical, play longer. Co- physical confidence, right? When you're physically yeah. confident, you don't go to ground. When you're physically at your limit, and trust me, I was this player, you slide tackle everywhere because <laughs> right? yeah. you have to make that tackle to make up to make up the gaps that you can't cover. Do you know what I mean? And um, so I recognize Mustafi a lot. My shorts were never clean when I came off the pitch. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, he, he has one word I'd, I'd put on uh, VVD, which is he has that imperious quality about him mm-hmm. for a 21 yeah. year old is amazing. And it is interesting because, you, you know, you look at the back line, they're all young, like the, all these players, the, the upside of where Children. they could go. Yeah. As they get it. I mean, Ramsdale, not in goalkeeper prime age. Saliba certainly is not. Gabriel maybe is closer. White is closer. Zinchenko's closer, but they're on the early side of it. Saka's not close. Martinelli's not close. Um, Odegaard's probably just cresting into that. Jesus has just hit it, and you see the difference there, by the way. Um, I, I hate that we have to do this, but Clive, like, the talking points every game sort of feel the same because the same things are happening, which is great. It means it's repeatable. But one of the things that's happening is Alexander Zinchenko is just getting better and better and better. I still think defensively, He's not the most solid part of our game, but our defense is is bolstered by the fact that systematically it's good, right? We defend well as a group because our system doesn't leave us exposed. But there's a moment in this game where he races back and there's a long ball into the, the, you know, I guess wing or half space. Towards the channel, yeah. Yep, towards the channel. He, He runs with the guy, takes it off him, and keeps it. And Clive, one of the things that I have to give Zinchenko credit for, he may not be the strongest defender, but like when White wins a tackle, he he kicks it a mile into touch, right, to, to clear the danger, and that's great, and he, he's been brilliant defensively. Zinchenko has the ability to win the ball, keep the ball, and progress the ball. He's very, very technical in the way he wins a challenge. He pulls the ball off off his man and gets it going forward, and so we see how great he is at, at activating our, our ball progression, but I do think he deserves credit for the way he can win a tackle and keep the ball then in play because we turned Bournemouth around a lot from Zinchenko winning the ball cleanly in a challenge and immediately distributing forward. I think that's a great quality. Yeah, I, I will say, if you did a live stream before the game, didn't you? Um, I did yesterday. indeed. And if I was oh, on I it, I may have said, I wouldn't mind seeing Zinchenko in midfield in this game, only because mm-hmm. Bournemouth is quite a small pitch. It's quite a technical area. You have to be very technical. The spaces are small. I thought he was really suited to that. I thought maybe Tinny could play and Tinchenko inside, but we didn't need to make any changes and we just we dealt with them very, very quickly. I think we need, again, we need to do some studying here because he's new for us and his effect, I think, is immeasurably positive. It shook me to my boots when he had 51 touches in the first half of the game versus uh, Leicester last week. That doesn't happen for a left fullback. That means you are basically controlling the game with another player who's almost like a roaming fullback midfielder that gets on the ball and controls play, progresses play. And I think it's a new one for us. It generally is. When I first saw him against Seville, I couldn't believe how he... I remember I used the word, he comes inside to the centre spot. You have inverted to the half space, but I'm talking to the centre spot. Sometimes he goes beyond it, the other side. I mean, it's incredible what's, what he's doing. He's basically just available. When he gets on the ball, all our heart rates drop, right? It's just wonderful to see. But what when we do this stuff, what we do is we overburden somebody else. And much like when we spoke about Ben White against Crystal Palace, we felt he did very, very well. Some people said he was a bit sloppy. But we overburdened him on that side because he had, he had the best player to mark. Right In this game, Gabriel had their forward threat to Mark and Kiefer Moore, who's a very tall player. And, you know, in a, in a some way, 
I know we've all the things that we saw, like were obvious, Jesus, you know, Saliba, Zinchenko, Martinelli, Odegaard, can't miss it. But for me, the coach's man of the match would be Gabriel, because he had the hardest job. He had their he had their focal point. He had to compete with him. He had to quell him, and he also he's overburdened because Zinchenko's never at home. Do you see what I mean? Mm. And so that's the guy that quells the opposition's main guy, you know. And I'm not saying he was the best player on the pitch or anything like that, but without him doing that job, we can't see the other things that are in play, right? So he's my understated that. man of the match in this game. And I think he enables Zinchenko to do what we can all see, which is beautiful. Yeah, he's underappreciated. I, I love the little insight we got from All or Nothing where I can't remember if it's Stoibenberg or Arteta. It might have been Stoibenberg. was basically saying to Gabriel, everything with you is your first touch. Concentrate on your clean first touch because yeah. then your pass is always good. And when your first touch isn't right, that's when you get in trouble. And I watched it in this game, and it's so clear. There's one moment where, like, he tries to trap it and it rolls just a little bit out from under his foot. So it's just past his body, right? The circumference of his body a little bit and his pass is really loose. And then there's another one where he kills it dead. So it's right where he needs it. And he plays a beautiful line breaking pass. I think it's in Nishaka. And like, it's so interesting to have those little insights, just that little thing, right? Oh, it's all about watch him next time. Watch him play. If he has a good first touch, his next action is brilliant. If his first touch is a little loose, it's outside his circumference. He hits it on the stretch. It's not as accurate. Really interesting thing I noticed, but, but, Paul, I want to bring up a moment, just a little moment. And, and look, we can't have every pod just be like, how happy and how amazing is everything? we got to dig into some of the things that are warts, and there aren't many on on these games and on this team right now. But there is a moment um, where Ramsdale gives it to Shaka. Shaka doesn't seem to necessarily have scanned. And because of that, he hits it straight to a Bournemouth player and we're under pressure. It reminded me, actually, of the Burnley goal, remember, where Shaka hits it off a Burnley player into our net. Mm-hmm. Was it Leno? It was Leno, right, who gives it to him right at the yeah. edge of the box. Some people say he shouldn't have given it to him there. He doesn't scan. He hits it first time. It bounces off Burnley player in our box. In this one, he's trying to pop it out to White around the corner. He doesn't scan. He hits it to a Bournemouth player. I think Ramsdale deserves some blame here. He gives it to Shaka wide of his body on his left foot under pressure with his with his back to the defenders, right? With his back to the to the press. And he doesn't really have time then to think he's got to get the ball away. But it's interesting, Shaq has been so, so good in in this season, and he's good in this game. And I'm starting to rethink like him being up the pitch versus back the pitch. And for so long, I thought Shaq's best place is when he's deeper and he can see the whole can see the whole pitch. But it's funny, suddenly he feels like our Henderson, right, or something like that, because he doesn't have to have a hundred touches, a hundred passes, start every buildup face the pressure of every press with two men on him where he where his limitations on the half turn really hurt him. He's able to use his leadership and his intelligence in space to really just contribute what's missing instead of having to contribute everything. And I thought that was really interesting because it struck me because the one we're not seeing a lot of Shaka as the deepest player. And the one time we see it picking it up off Ramsdale, just a little wide of his body, doesn't scan, can't turn, gives it away, and it's a dangerous moment. So I just thought that was an interesting insight in certain terms of yeah, maybe actually up the pitch, we're we're kind of liberating him from some of the overuse, over reliance that we have, but also some of his his challenges in those in those pressurized spaces with his you know facing his own goal. You know, yeah, sure. I mean, I think in his own mind, he sees himself as a box to box player who can contribute. Uh, 
much more freely. I think that's why he hasn't really minded this adjustment in position in the same way we might have anticipated it as being a kind of an insult to his role. He's like, yeah, it's it's part of what I do. I think Wenger described him early on as a box-to-box. He did. And Changed Shanka, that pretty quick, though. <laughs> Two did, weeks later, he said he's the, he's a deeper playmaker who plays the intermediate value pass. I thought that was a pretty good turnaround. <laughs> yeah, but but there's a lot you know there's a lot going on back then. Yeah. Um, Chaka originally called himself a ten. Not everybody's ten is the same mm-hmm. same kind of ten. I guess it relates to if you're an eight, are you an eight ten or an eight six? You know, he does like to look up the pitch. He doesn't. I think he's much better with his back to the opponent up the pitch than he is deep down the pitch. Agreed. Um, and, you know, if if he fluffs it in the attacking third or on the edge of the penalty box with somebody coming in him from behind, it's like big deal. We're probably about to get it back anyway because uh, a transition turnover, counter-press, great. You know, give it away as much as you like, Chaka. Those are good areas to give them away. Surrounded by players, you're doing one-twos with Zinchenko or Martinelli or Gabriel Jesus. You lose, you know, a loose pass in the box can work either way. It does protect us from the fact that he still has some fairly heavy boots at times. But he's a smart guy. I'm not saying he has the quickest mind in the world, but he knows what's, he's emotionally very smart about what's going on in various areas of the pitch and what's needed and what's required. I don't know that he has Chabi or Iniesta levels of neural activities to know what's coming next and the next ball and stuff, but he's pretty good about what needs to be happening in a particular area of the pitch in a particular phase of the game. Um, he's involved. I think in this particular game, the the plan was three or four times on set pieces to get him on the end of it or for for him to be in the position to be on the end of it where yeah, he's he like the, the far guy. Ball. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and we saw him and it very deliberately in positions like we saw in the previous I think it was the Leicester game he comes zooming in uh on the post right he- heads it off the post. Oh yeah uh, that's right Coney. that was uh is that a is that a a sack off a corner yeah I think it's a sack of corn. You, it's a you sack know the sack of, of corn. It's a sack of inswinger. Yeah. yeah. N- nutty heads off the post, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, they're fully embracing his role in this attacking third of the pitch and using him within the set and, and thinking him of him as more of a Gundogan-type player, not just, oh, well, you can drift up at times, like they're leaning into it, and Zinchenko yeah. filling in there in the pitch. Mm. And just the amount of adaptability and, in a way, we just need to let things go for a while. I'm feeling a little Clive here. You know, let's not be imposing roles. You know, a new child comes into the world. Let's not impose a gender on it quite yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's let's see how it feels about things. And I think the same is true with Chak in midfield. Um, you know, we maybe need to let go of things a little bit. They're not as hung up on it. And yeah. uh, he's yeah. doing his thing. He's been great. He's been absolutely great. It's just so interesting to see, oh, you know what? Up the pitch, actually. Some of the limitations that frustrated us aren't as evident. And then we see that one moment deeper back. The pitch, it felt a little familiar. And I, I was like, interesting, because he's not in those zones as much. Clive, you can certainly weigh in on that. But as we start to head for the finish line here, I would like to talk Ramsdale, too. Mm-hmm. Another game where he's kicked it straight to the opposition. You know, flapped at a corner, and Jesus clears it off the line. Um 
He was asked after the game how, how he's playing. He said, I'm nowhere near where I want to be, nowhere near the level I need to be. He said, I'm at fault for the Madison goal against Leicester. I wasn't, you know, I, I made errors today. I'm nowhere near the level I want to be. I think that's interesting, candid response. He had a very interesting interview all, all around, a lot of interesting comments, talked about the nasty streak in Gabriel Jesus, which he loved to hear. Um, but I do think it's interesting because he's certainly not hurting us right now, and his distribution, is, as we've talked about multiple times, is an essential part of our game. But he feels he needs to lift his level. I'm curious if you feel that, and he, it's funny, even in that interview, we said, I dipped a little at the end of last season and I'm still not near where I want to be yet. And so I like that self-awareness, but I think it's fair. I don't think he's a liability. I just think he's he's got a level he needs to and can go up to get back to the level he was at when he first arrived. Do you think that's fair? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Can I can I touch on Shaka briefly and then go yeah, to Ramsdale? Yeah, either one. Free swim, please do. I, I think um, with Shaka, I think... When he came into our team, he's a he's a very responsible player. So I think oh, I used to call him Red a day. Remember that one? Because I think he's he tries to put out fires his body can't do right. So and that cost us, and we judged him based on his inability to get to the ball on time. Right. So we didn't judge him on his character and his leadership and what he did, what he means to address him. We weren't bothered by that. He gave a penny away against Brighton, mate, cost us top four, so that's enough for me. Right. So but I actually think maybe slightly different to what Paul said, maybe um what we've done is actually said, because you're a responsible person, I'm going to give you a role which is slightly higher up. And within that role, you've got to do four or five things. But I'm going to give you these jobs. But but you have to trust the back end of the pitch. And when he looks back and he sees Saliba, Gabriel, Party, White, he hasn't got to charge back into the corner of our penalty area giving away penalties anymore. Does that mean? His responsibility is to be everywhere where... Martinelli and Zinchenko, and he's he's a guy that he's the glue player for us now. So his responsibility is to glue us in a slightly different way, and so by giving him those jobs, it stops him trying to do too many jobs. If that makes sense. I'm not sure if you agree. It's just another. It's another way to look at it to I bring see. out somebody's yeah. skill and and natural character, which is to help people. Do you know what I mean? To help yep. everyone at the cost yep. of himself, right? So, and on Ramsdale, um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of him. Not because he's perfect, because he's imperfect. You know me and my imperfect players. <laughs> I thought he struggled towards the end of last year. Um, I think he, I, I felt he was tired. And he looks a bit like a bit, bit of a sieve at the moment. You know what I mean? The ball could go through him. and But I'm all right with it. Because I see somebody challenging himself to be better. And you, we're sitting here, top of league at the moment. Man City can't deal with our hot pace. Do you know what I mean? They've dropped off. So we're sitting here, top of the league, with the youngest team in the league, with the youngest manager in the league. And back to what I said earlier, our role as a, a group of fans is to support these players through these mm-hmm. exact moments when they are not quite 9 out of 10. we still got a very good goalkeeper. There's just a little bit frayed around the edges, just finding out a few realities about being in a goldfish bowl, which is Arsenal Football Club. And if we can just get him through this period by over-supporting him, like like the fans did with Saliba, because we know he's good enough. He will be England's number one. He's having a flat spot. 
He's not costing us any points at the moment. But he's also, in all of these games, apart from maybe the one at the weekend, he's made a critical save to allow us to dictate the story of the game, even mm-hmm. though there's been a few things that have been a little bit um, interesting, shall we say. So, for me, let's, go, let's bear with it. We've made our decision. We have... You know, we've some people may say we're weaker in goal because with Leno going compared to last season, but I think we have a group of goalkeepers that are going to grow together, and he's the, the youngest one there almost, and he's the yeah. one we're putting our we're putting our eggs in. So, yeah, I've got no problem with it, and I, I think the self awareness bit earlier is really, 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 really astute, and yeah, I'm all for people that know who they are, right? And I, I yeah. just want to support him. Yeah, and I mean, you you see in All or Nothing how much he beats himself up when he doesn't get it right. This is a guy mm-hmm. who knows where his game is at. To your point about Shaka feeling very responsible, after the, which game is it where he gets the red card for kicking the guy in the chest? Liverpool. City? Liverpool. Liverpool you. away, um, yeah. City was the penalty. Um, yeah. Yeah, Liverpool. And then he's arguing with his teammates in the training room, you know, and he's like, I have to do it for you. You should, you should thank me. You should be saying, thank you, Granite, you know, because he felt responsible and he had the responsibility. So it's interesting. Yeah. A couple other fun little tidbits from this game. Um, there's the Martinelli one. I thought it was going in at first, but it, it skewed wide a little where he kind of flicks it up on the turn and then strikes it on the half volley and it goes right by. Emil Smith-Rowe has a nice little cameo where he's in twice and hits it straight at the keeper. I think there was that moment as this game wore on where you could see Jesus first and then and Martinelli and then Smith Rowe, they just wanted their goals. And so I think they stopped playing for each other just a little bit, right? Taking yeah. shots on from acute angles and things. Cause it's three nil, it's fun, it's it's over, and you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get mine. Um, like Martinelli does one right from about 20 yards out where he beats the man and he tries to tries to blast it on his right when there's like three players he can slip in. I just think that's game state stuff. But I do think, Paul, there were a couple interesting cameos. I think Smith-Rowe looked bright enough. His runs were good. He was found a few times. He, he had some shots that he uh, struck sweetly to, you know, right at the keeper, to be fair. So good to get him those minutes. Sammy Lacongo looks like he's been in the gym. Um, he looked big. He didn't have much to do. And as I mentioned earlier, Tomiyasu with a couple of fantastic line breakers. I, I do think it's interesting that Enkedia came on not for Jesus. I don't think that was the plan. I think it's after the goal is ruled out. They changed their mind there. But anything yeah. from the sub appearances, I mean, one of the really big talking points we had on the instant reaction and on the pre-match live stream is there's no room in the squad for Pepe. Now, Pepe's probably off. But if we sign someone in the next couple of weeks, or God forbid, two players, guys like El Elneny, guys like Holding, guys like Sambi and Vieira, they're not going to make every match day squad. This bench didn't have room for Pepe. If Pepe was staying, maybe he gets in and, and Holding doesn't. But guys like Holding and Elneny and Sambi and Vieira, like they're going to be on the brink of not making Premier League match day squads. Like it, it is interesting how quickly we look a lot deeper. So, yeah. any of the any of yes. the, the subs jump out at you in that respect? Not so much the subs as the that whole dynamic. Like because I think we've been watching the all or nothings and we see a kind of. A, almost a repeat element to what does the manager say to them before a game and at halftime. Mm-hmm. What you really want to get to is a team that doesn't need a uh, f- before the game or a halftime speech on a very regular basis because they're just competing to get in the team and to stay on it at halftime and to be the guy who doesn't come off at 70 minutes and 
to make the World Cup squad and their national team. And like the only time Arteta needs to come up with a new gimmick or a new speech is when you're in a bad run and in a tough spot. And, uh, you know, mostly these dressing rooms, I mean, Clive will tell me otherwise. He's actually been in some of these. I haven't been in any for a couple of decades. And we weren't very good in the dressing rooms I was in. And we were making it up as we went along. I haven't and even been we, alive a couple of decades. Man, that age. <laughs> okay, go ahead, please. <laughs> so, uh, like, uh, he, Arteta may have exhausted his, his library, uh, his notebook with great team talks. He's probably not going to need them for many of the games. Like, you, go, you roll from this game to the next game. He just needs the team talk for when we've lost our way or we're not coming with our stuff or to fuse everybody's thoughts together and like those the quality of subs off the bench and then you're competing to get on the bench for each game that i would imagine changes your training everything at london colony nobody can be sitting around feeling sorry for themselves because they're not playing otherwise they won't be on the bench and uh, of course that's a very difficult thing to manage we've seen the the sparks fly at at uh, chelsea at uh, city in particular with you know guys who should be playing for anybody else in the pl uh, getting the hump, throwing the Moody's, want to run all, you know, nearly won the Champions League, uh, won the Premier League four out of five years, and yet he's got four or five or six players who are always got the hump, want to leave, do something else. Th- those are the prices at the top end of the state of the 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 league and and world football. But there's a space in between where we were last year, where everybody was way too comfortable that they were in the team, and it was somebody else's problem that we weren't playing well to what is going to be this year if we can keep the bench stocked, the team stocked, uh, the options in training right up there where even if the team's not doing great, you better be on your game or you won't be in the squad, on the team, on the bench. I think it's it's a self-solving problem. Yeah. I mean, I think we should leave it there, but the one thing I will say is after the match, Clive, Arteta said we're still looking for firepower. I mean... yeah. It's there for us to just go get it right now, and there's no reason to sit with the hand pl- mm-hmm. to just play the hand we have because all it takes is one guy to be out and suddenly go. Eh, we're a little light, actually. I know it all feels great now, but Clive, I know you won't be mad if we go out and get another couple of signings. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be doing my Sunday scouting today, and um, mm-hmm. there's a couple of wingers that I'm sort of interested in. Obviously, everyone knows about uh, that Jeremy Pino. I think he looks very. Uh, positional play interesting shall we say and there's a guy that plays for um, Shakhtar Donetsk I can't say his name Mikhailio Mikhailio Madrik and the first time I saw him was Ukraine versus Scotland he came on late in that game he's a blonde winger from the left hand side and I could not... Wait, wait, wait. That's a new position to me. Blonde winger. Yeah, what, bl- blonde that, winger. Is that inverted? or From the from the left-hand side, and he was so quick, and he moved across that screen. I'm thinking, oh, my God. He plays with the intensity that would suit us. And much like your first... Sometimes you see a player, you love him in the first instant. You forget about him because someone else comes along, like a Gakpo or somebody like that. And then he's, he got linked to us in the last couple of days, and I thought, I have that... That would be a smart move. He's going to be the next Ukrainian superstar. We have a Ukrainian player in our team that's looking quite good. He just felt nice. And I do think there's a young winger we need to go and get 
that's got potential for me. I don't see it as an experience for phenotype. And it just allows us to have security at centre forward, security in wide areas, to allow us to play at the intensity we need to play at. That we've become accustomed to in the last three games. We're not having it no more. We're not having walkers anymore. We need joggers don't work. We need sprinters, hard workers, pressers, intensity, control our story. And if we don't have it, we can have the ump. So when we need to backfill, it has to be the same type of players that we have in our front three that we had yesterday. So, yeah, all good. All good. Well, I'll tell you what's all good. The content schedule. We've got our first Academy pod for patrons coming up, and there's loads of Academy news to dig into, so you are not going to want to miss that. We have, of course, our instant reaction to the games that we're doing. We're doing our rewatches, and why would you not want to rewatch the sensation that is Arsenal at the moment? Uh, We will have scouting videos if there are any credible rumors coming up. We would love, love, love to have you with us over there, but... If you can't or don't want to, we just love having you with us here through what is so far a wonderful season and hopefully will continue to be something special. And with that, I'm going to say hi to Mike for a minute to tell you about a live event going on in London that you're going to want to be there for. He's got a lot of cool people signed up. I also want to tell you about the Football Content Awards. Those are going on right now. If you look at the pinned tweet at at ArsenalVPodcast on Twitter, you go to Twitter, ArsenalVPodcast, the pinned tweet, you just copy it and paste it, and you voted for us. And it would mean the world if you did. We'll be talking about that a little more uh, coming up as well. And then, um, or you can just go to the FCA Awards website and and vote for us there. But the, the tweet one's easy. You can do it through Instagram too. You can do it through Facebook. Whatever place you're at, we would love to have you vote. Okay, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Thanks, Paul. Saliba. Saliba, I'm going to throw it over to Mike and we're going to talk about the live stream. Stay with us. I promise it's just a few minutes and then we're going to be, I mean, the live event he's got coming up. Just a few minutes and then we'll wrap it up. So uh, Mike's coming up next. And now, many time offender, I mean appearance on the podcast, Mike from the Gooners Pod is back. You can find him on Twitter at the Gooners Pod and his name is Mike and he is here. Hello, Mike. Hello, Yankee Gunner. How are you? Is this well, my third strike and I'm out? Or uh? No, I, I mean, this is the beauty of having you on the pod is that um, the f- fast-forward 30-second button that lets you just skip <laughs> sections on the pod ensures that we can keep having you back, and you know it doesn't really do any damage to the show, so I appreciate you coming on. Um, how are you doing? I am doing great. Lots of fun stuff going on. It's been kind of a ridiculously great summer for Gooners versus Cancer because of all the all the live events and the summer tour. The only thing that was missing was, was Elliot, uh, quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, look, not only did I miss the tour, but then because of the uh, beautiful cobblestone streets in the south of Portugal, <laughs> I destroyed my ankle um, and like really had to have a talk with my family about convincing me to go on a once in a lifetime vacation, incredibly selfish of them. And I don't know what they were thinking, but, but you uh, did it for us though. You did it for us. Well, and and look how it's going so far. James has hurt himself a lot. And all (laughs) we've ever gotten out of that is like, I don't know, like a a draw in a big game. I hurt myself and look at the start we're off to look at the preseason we had. So I'd like to think that, that I'm doing it right, that I've got the jinxing powers flowing through me and, and all is good and all is good in Arsenal world and all is good in your world. And, and one of the things that we wanted to talk about really the, the principal thing we wanted to talk about is that you, um, you were there for us when we had our, our union chapel event with, uh, Ars blog and the crew and 
even before that at Victoria's Tavern, uh, Victoria's you know, that, that's where the that's where the fetus of the idea of, of, of a live show came. I'm like, you know, if these guys can do it with with their paltry following, then, you know, we must be able to just either sell out Wembley or, you know, the 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 eight stadiums in Dubai. Uh, but but we decided to kind of aim a little bit smaller and say, you know what, we'll grab their audio guy. Because ultimately, I mean, uh, Gabe was the Gabriel. reason that your show was successful. Turn, I mean, turncoat. Yep. Yeah. No, yeah. I hear you. And and I will say that uh, it was nice of you not to counter um, program it against the World Cup so that FIFA could make their money because we, you know, God forbid that doesn't happen. And it was nice of you, even though you did sell out Wembley, to have a smaller venue that people could still get tickets to. So why don't you tell us about the event, where it's going to be, all this witty banter surely has people uh, splitting their sides <laughs> in laughter at this point. But but let's uh, let's cut to the heart of the matter. When's the event? Where's the event? How do people go to the event? And most importantly, why on earth should anyone go to the event? Well, I think I can answer all those questions. Uh, the, the it's like a who, what, when, where, why. The who is uh, is is certainly not just me because uh, you know I learned long ago from you know from certain people that it's not who you are; it's who you surround yourself with. So we have a panel. It's going to be a live podcast, very very much in the style, honestly, of your first show in October. It was, I mean, that was a really really fun night. It was about charity. It was about entertainment it was about great people and a lot of socializing before and after the show um so we're gonna have uh, a you panel that in, it's fine uh yeah i just thought that was implied with socializing <laughs> Heard in this both group. Ways. Yeah, okay. exactly um <laughs> so yeah we're gonna have a, a panel of uh of, of kind of your your favorite non because i couldn't get any of you guys because you like quote unquote live in america um uh, with your non Arsenal Vision folks like uh, FK, <clears throat> FK from uh, the Latte, Latte Firm, firm. Mm-hmm. Sophie Nikolaev uh, will be jetting in from Los Angeles no just way. for this show. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, from the Highbury Squad, the uh, the the famous and and by then newly married Tom Canton from the Gooner Talk TV and Football London. Uh, we'll have Harry Simeow from Chronicles of a Gooner, and uh, we're just going to have even the football gerbil might make an appearance there uh, if mm. if we can finalize his contract rider. But uh, it'll be a good panel, fun show. the The transfer window will have just ended, so we're going to be able to talk to podcasters and journalists and and kind of figure out what uh, what to expect from Arsenal going forward. And it's two days, two nights before we go off to play Manchester United, which will hopefully still be broken by then. So that's the why the or at least the who. The where is Ridley Road Social Club. It's in Dalston, which apparently is adjacent to Hackney, and uh, is just an overground ride away from uh, from what is it called, the Highbury and Islington. So it's it's near-ish North London. It's actually East London, and it starts at about six thirty p.m. on Friday, the second of September. And uh, it's really just an opportunity for Gooners to get together to hopefully enjoy what will what will still be a, a very strong start at that time uh, to raise money for Gooners versus cancer, which is of course the most important part of all. Um, I would I would agree with that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. it is a great panel. All kidding aside, Mike, that's a great group of people, both just to be uh, with and around, and also to listen to and and glean their insights from and. I'll be interested to hear after the window has closed how they interpret the rumors that we are still on the brink of signing Yuri Tielemans. So that will be um, that will be one to listen out for. But um, I can if, guarantee you, we will not at that moment be on the brink of signing anyone. Uh, no, we, no, we, we will still have will brinked, be. branked, or or brunked at that. No, the point. window will be closed. We will still be on the brink of signing Yuri Tielemans. That's, that's how <laughs> this works. Uh, the transfer window never actually shuts. Um, 
So, so what do people need to know? They want to go, they want to be there. What do they got to do? Uh, there's a website called GVC Live, GVC like Gunnar's V Cancer. Um, so www.gvc live has all the uh, information about the prizes that are there to be won because it's not Gunnar's versus cancer. If your donation doesn't get you some way of winning or having a chance to win some great prizes, including signed memorabilia, artwork. Uh, I also forgot to mention that Ruth Beck will be there. If you're familiar with her artwork, Brilliant we, artwork. Yep. we, we, uh, use it as incentives a lot for Gunas versus cancer, but she will be there giving away a signed framed print, uh, that is one of only five being given away, uh, called Highbury days. So if you, uh, if you follow her on Twitter, you'll have seen it. Um, and, uh, has all the details. There is a five pound entry fee, which is really just to make sure people don't snap up tickets and not come. Cause we'd love to pack the house. And of course your entry entry fee as always is a direct donation to the leukemia lymphoma society. Uh, it is not to pay talent, uh, because otherwise we'd have to charge a lot more, mm. uh, uh, just for and the gerbils. Talent. Just nope. uh, yeah, and we'd have to also get talent. <laughs> we'd have to get an actual host. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's 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 a great opportunity to just have an enjoyable Friday night. And as I always say, just kind of enjoy the the best that Arsenal fans and Gooners have to offer, which is the uh, the enjoyment of togetherness and charity. It is my <clears throat> summer and fall, my autumn of FOMO. And it continues because I would love to be there. It sounds like a great night. I think anybody who goes is going to be treated to a great night as they always are when you're around, my friend. And I think uh, if you're listening to this and you're going to be in the area and you have a chance to go, definitely go for it. It's a way to uh, burn off some nervous energy ahead of our trip to what will hopefully be a complete dumpster fire of Manchester United as they try to find out if Elon Musk has gotten drunk and offered to buy their club <laughs> again on Twitter. So uh, definitely, definitely go there. GVCLive.com, GVCLive.com. Mike is on Twitter, at the Gooners Pod. Um, you can always donate to Gooners versus Cancer anytime. You don't have to go, and I, I strongly recommend you do. Mike, you are a, a great man. I am sorry that I will not see you for this event, but I'm sure I will see you uh, many other times this season and beyond as you are more often in London than any other place I am aware of. I believe I am the companion ticket to your uh, to your frequent flyer miles. So I will <laughs> I will head over whenever you do, my friend. That's a deal. All right, we're gonna <clears throat> leave it there. We have, whew, uh, Bournemouth, Bournemouth, and there Ten may mil. in fact this just in there may be a live stream ahead of that match so keep an eye out for that there will certainly be an instant reaction on Patreon and certainly be a full podcast uh, after that. So you know. The hits just keep on coming, but definitely go uh, to Mike's event because I think it's going to be a great night. So we'll leave it there. Hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. Of course, of course, highlighted by great Arsenal football and a win and then calamitous misfortune for our rivals. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Bournemouth nil. No.